are living your story right now in this moment. You know, no two stories are alike. We are all unique. We all have a different lens through which we see the world. We all have something to contribute, to share, to be. That uniqueness takes courage. It's not easy to stand in your truth. It's not easy to let yourself be vulnerable, to be really seen, to be really heard. So many of us hide. So many of us stay hidden. So many of us make the choice to step forward, to own who we are, to own our stories, to share our voice. The tide is turning. We're moving into a space of deeper vulnerability, courage, authenticity, and love. We're moving closer to greater self-love, self-acceptance, honesty, and empowerment. To get there, to get to that space, means we have to authentically share who we are. It means we have to authentically show up as our true selves. The magic is in sharing who you are. The magic is in sharing your story. That's where this series comes in. Own your voice. Love yourself. Stay true to your story. Dive deep into your vulnerability. Shine in your authenticity. Once you do, there's no stopping you. Stay honest. Stay brave. Stay true to who you are. Welcome to Seek the Joy Podcast, the power of storytelling. Have you ever felt like an ugly duckling? I have. When I was growing up, I was never thin enough. I recall my dad telling me I'd be beautiful if I'd just lose 10 pounds. It was always just 10 more pounds to find that elusive ideal of beauty. No matter how small I became, I could never quite reach that goal. With beauty came great responsibility, and I was never quite sure I was capable of handling it. You see, I was sexually molested by my stepfather when I was nine. His inappropriate behavior went on into my adulthood. I would try to never be alone with him, but he would always find a way to touch me. The power he held over me would reduce me to a frightened child. For years, I stayed away from my family because of the horror of being in his presence. My kids always wondered why we didn't go to Grandma's house very often. It took a lot of mental energy for me to visit, and I always had to have a plan to have someone in the room with me so he couldn't touch me. But he always managed to get next to me. I had several conversations with my mom about it, but she would never admit that she knew what was going on. Her inability to acknowledge what had happened to me made me feel like she didn't care or that she didn't even want me. What I have come to understand is that if she were to admit those vile things, the man that she believed that she married was a lie. It would have meant that her entire life was a lie. And that's a really tough truth to face. As I look back on my life, those abusive events created a love-hate relationship with food. I could lose weight, but I could never keep it off. It affected my confidence and my belief that I was worthy or deserving of love. 
I longed to be beautiful on the inside, but I always felt dirty and less than. I felt expendable because no one listened to my cries for help. Years later, I had aunts and uncles admit that they knew that something was going on, but they didn't feel like it was their place to butt in. Internally, I cried out, when is it not the time to protect a child? When is it not the time to stand up for those who don't have a voice? Why was I expendable? Why wasn't I valuable enough for someone to stand up for? What was lacking in me? I have grappled with those questions for years. Because of those experiences, I always felt like I had to work harder, to be more, and to be perfect. Perfection was the standard I thought I had to achieve, to be loved, to be valued, and to be redeemable. Perfection and people-pleasing go hand in hand. They are the path that leads to losing your soul, to losing who you are at your very being. I believed that I wasn't enough as I was, so I wore masks and performed to get love and affection. These behaviors are killers of self-esteem and confidence. I began to believe the lie that I didn't deserve love, affection, or a sense of belonging. Shame made me feel isolated and set apart. Every aspect of my life was filled with shame. Shame began to rule my thinking. I became invisible. I didn't want my secrets to get out. I feared what people would think of me, so I shied away from relationships and being part of community. As a young woman, I didn't understand that shame couldn't survive in the presence of compassion. I didn't have a trusted support system to confide in, so I hid my shame for years, and it ate away at who I was. I knew that there was more to life than what I had experienced, but I didn't have a clear path of how to get there. I knew I wanted to inspire women with my story, but my story wasn't complete, and I didn't feel like I had the voice to tell it. I didn't think people would listen. I was just a hidden face among nameless women who had experienced similar stories. Then, one day, I began to think, who will speak out for these women who don't have the courage to speak for themselves? Who will help them feel visible and seen? Shortly after that thought, a friend asked me, if not you, then who? And if not now, when? I was terrified to share my story after so many years. The secrets I had held so close to my heart would expose me as being frail and weak. They would make me appear to be a victim. Those were not words I wanted to use to define myself. I have worked so hard to get past those dark days and to create a life where I feel whole and where I can honestly say I love myself unconditionally. I have intentionally forgiven the people in my life who didn't protect me, and I have restored my relationship with my mom. The past couple of years have been a season of new awarenesses, growth, and healing for me. I have realized that I had a pattern of using weight as a coping me mechanism when I felt threatened. While journaling about my relationship with food and exercise, I began to connect the dots. Every major weight gain was brought on when I felt violated by an inappropriate encounter with a man. Immediately, I would run to food for comfort. Food was something I could control, 
it was a vicious cycle. Food provided temporary comfort, but it also induced guilt and shame stemming from my inability to stand up for myself. I knew I should be able to speak up, but the experience of being violated made me feel small and insignificant. My throat would close, rendering me unable to utter a sound, and I would flee as quickly as possible. This past year, this topic came up in a conversation with my coach. I was having a very difficult time being visible in my business. I hated the body I saw in the mirror every day. It wasn't the body I saw in my mind. It wasn't a body I wanted others to see. I didn't fit the media's idea of beauty. So she challenged me to write a love letter to my body. It was one of the most difficult letters I ever tried to write. I couldn't use any negative language. I had to give gratitude and appreciation for my entire being. I had to ask forgiveness for when I had abused my body by not eating right or exercising or taking care of it as I should. It was humbling and empowering all at the same time. I was part of a mastermind group at the time, and she said if I was really courageous, I would share my letter with our private Facebook group. That was one of the most vulnerable acts I ever took. I sat for hours staring at my computer screen. Should I or shouldn't I share my letter? Would I be judged by this group of women? What value would there be for me? Would the other women even be able to relate to my struggle? Finally, I said, go big or go home. I hit post and walked away. The fear of what might happen was smaller than the curiosity of what I might learn from the experience. The responses I received was overwhelming love and support. As I have shared that experience with others, it has given them the courage to tell their story and to suffocate their shame and compassion. It has provided a platform for them to share their struggles with body image and self-esteem. Telling our truth is how we get our power back. Shouting from the rooftops until someone hears us and believes our story is how we get our power back. Standing before our mirrors naked and not ashamed of our bodies is how we get our power back. Acknowledging that abuse is never our fault. Acknowledging that it was someone else's job to protect us and they let us down. That's how we get our power back. Today, I can share my story without attributing blame. I can tell my story without attaching emotion or assigning value of good or bad. These were events that happened in my past, but they no longer define who I am. The fact that I was resilient and never gave up is what defines me. I am an overcomer. I am a survivor. I am the hero in my own story. But the biggest life lesson I have learned from sharing my story is that I have a powerful voice. I can inspire women and men alike. Removing the shame from my story and just telling it as it crosses over the lines of race and generation and affluency. Everyone loves to root for an underdog, and they get to hear a happy ending. I was that underdog. I was the girl that everyone wrote off. Today, 
I have a voice that can speak transformation into the lives of others because I have learned how to love myself unconditionally. And through that journey, I have created a wildly happy life. I am the mother of four amazing adult children and one adorable granddaughter. I was their biggest advocate. I held space for them in ways that my parents did for me. Yes, there was a cost, but it was a cost worth paying. I have self-respect and confidence that I could only dream of as a kid. Because of these experiences, I have committed my life to helping one million women transform their lives by teaching them how to love themselves unconditionally, by helping them develop self-care strategies, by showing them how to revise their self-talk and become more self-compassionate, and most importantly, by improving their body image and redefining beauty. This is your time. Live your life out loud. Own your story. Be proud of the journey you've taken. It's never too late to rewrite the ending to your story. This is your life. You get to define what beauty and success mean to you. You don't have to be limited by how others see you or judge you. In fact, I tell myself, it's none of my business what others think of me. It is my business, however, to be better tomorrow than I am today. I hope that you will dare to be the woman that you were created to be. Hi, I'm Carly. I wanted to share my story of anxiety, depression, recovery from all of that and how I found strength in sharing my voice and the power of being vulnerable, being authentic in sharing what you've been through with other people to lead the way. And had I been given this opportunity a year ago, two years ago, I would have cringed at the thought of even having my voice recorded. At, you know, nobody really cares about what I have to say or what I've been through. But now I'm super passionate about being truthful with who I am, being truthful with the things that I've been through and sharing it in a way that people who are currently going through what I've been through can find hope, can find strength, and can relate to a common ground of anxiety, of depression, and find hope that my healing can be your healing and vice versa. So it started when I was a little kid. I Looking back on it now, I struggled with anxiety and depression, but at the time, I didn't really know what that meant. I just knew that I felt really out of place. I felt like I just didn't fit in. Wherever I went, I always felt like an outsider, and I didn't really get it. And so that imprinted on me for a really long time. You know, I had a lot of friends growing up. I came from a great family, but there was just that lack of like talking about emotions, being okay with talking about your feelings. When I would say, you know, that I was having a hard day or like however I expressed that as a kid, probably not in the best way. You know, I was told from a very young age that, well, there's people with worse problems than you. And it was just really disregarded in a way that as a kid, I learned, okay, well, then my problems probably aren't that important. And these feelings aren't that important if people have way worse problems than me. So that was the lesson I learned about like expression 
self-expression, sharing your thoughts and feelings with the people around me, I just learned that that's not what you do. That's not like we have bigger things to do. We have to work. We have to figure it out. And looking back on my childhood now, obviously I see that I was an empath as I like identify with that now. And I was absorbing a lot of emotion around me and a lot of what was going on with my family structure, with my friends, with just life in general. And I didn't have a way to unload that on anything. I was just absorbing it into my tiny little body as a kid. And it was really manifesting in, you know, being anxious, feeling weird, seeing things, feeling things that I didn't know if other people were experiencing. And so I started to, and I didn't feel like I had a container in which to express that because I learned, well, we don't talk about our feelings, it's just not how it is. And so I started to cope really in unhealthy ways with those feelings because I didn't know how to get them out of my body. And it ended up in in self-harming myself. As a really young kid, as young as nine, I can remember um, you know, doing some self-harm coping skills because I just wanted to feel something that made me feel like anything. And if you've ever experienced like dealing with self-harm, that's just like really all that it is, is wanting to feel anything. And I did that for a little while and then I really just didn't like, and then again, I just really didn't like how I was feeling. So I was always confused around emotions and expression and feelings. So I was always a writer. I was always um, really into being creative, artwork. And so I really then began to withdraw into myself. And into my teen years, I developed really significant depression that at the time felt like it came out of nowhere. But looking back, looking back on, you know, my life and how it had progressed, it really was like kind of a no brainer that I ended up in that space because I was feeling um, stifled in my own voice. I was feeling unsupported. I was feeling like the world around me was really out of my control and I didn't know how to react to it. And so my body really just shut down and I didn't want to leave my house. I didn't want to see my friends. I didn't want to do anything. I literally wanted to disappear. And I remember thinking about like, well, how can I just disappear? And it wouldn't hurt my family and it wouldn't hurt my friends. Um, I just like don't want to be here anymore. But I didn't want to do anything like to hurt myself. I just didn't want to be around. And so at that point, I did enter into therapy, uh, which did help. And I'm appreciative of those years of having that um, or of that year, I should say, of having that support. And it really helped me understand how to better communicate my needs, how to better understand the reason why I was feeling the way I was feeling. That's something that is has always been of interest to me. Like, why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? And that's probably why I went on to study psychology and became a social worker later in life. So fast forward a few years to my late 20s and I you know, working as a social worker, really sort of like living this expected life. I went to college, I went to grad school, I got the jobs, I did the things, and I'm left where I grew up in New Jersey to come to San Diego and start a new life. And I really, you know, from the outside looking in, I had this very traditional, this very successful life that like, oh, well, she has her master's degree, she's got this great job, she's taking a promotion, she's advancing her career. And it looked seemingly like I had a great life, but I developed anxiety in a way that I had never experienced before in my childhood years, even in my early 20s when, 
I had a few panic attacks here and there, and they were really, um, really like situationally based. But this time it was different. I was having panic attacks upwards of five times a day. Some days I would lose count. I wasn't able to sleep through the night. I felt like I was having a heart attack. I went to the doctor countless times for help. And I just felt like I remember very distinctly waiting in a waiting room to go see yet another doctor about my anxiety, my panic, my phys the physical pain that I was experiencing around all of these things. And I just felt so helpless. I wanted to collapse into myself because I knew going into that that waiting room into that doctor's office that they were just going to tell me the same thing. And that's what happened. They just they spent they spent 5 minutes with me and prescribed me another medication. And so I traveled on this road of now this is not to shame anyone who is currently taking medication. I think it could be in the right modality and the right context. It could be very helpful for some people. I was not listened to. I was not heard. I was just prescribed pills to get me out of the doctor's office. Is absolutely how I felt. And so at that point, I just felt so hopeless. I just wanted to stop feeling what I was feeling and just get through the day. So I started on this journey of medication and it considerably made my life worse to the point where I was waking up in the morning and as I was getting ready for work I saw myself in the mirror and I had just become such a shadow of who I thought I wanted to be and who I had been for a long time and I finally got to the breaking point where I said like is this all there is to life is this what everyone's doing is everyone just this unhappy and this miserable and everyone's just numbing themselves and I was like this is not how I want to live if other people are living that way then that's that's fine for them but why does this have to be my life I felt so out of alignment with where I knew my life could be and where I wanted it to be and so, you know, I decided at that point I had no quality of life anymore. I had no quality of life because I was medicated, I was numb. The side effects from the medication were giving me worse symptoms than my anxiety was giving me because I couldn't function. I could barely speak. Um, I used to lose feelings in my hands and my feet, and I just felt like claustrophobic in my life. And that was the breaking point when I said, you know, if this is how my life is going to be, then it's not even worth it. So I made a decision to really dive into not just numbing and passing over these feelings of anxiety, but where were they coming from? Why was this such a repeated pattern in my life? And I really started diving in and like doing the work on myself in a spiritual and a holistic way because on the parallel of my life as I'm working as a social worker I was also a yoga instructor I you know learned about Reiki I'd become a level two practitioner at that point and I said you know I have these tools I have these connections with people who can help me and I really reached out to supports and mentors and practices in a mindful holistic way because what I've learned in this journey to get anxiety and depression really managed in my life is that you can't heal what you're unwilling to feel. And it's okay to feel these feelings. It's okay to be sad, be angry, be anxious. It's okay to feel these things as long as you really like don't change your zip code to that, to that place. As long as you don't wallow in these spaces of 
being depressed, being anxious. And it took a lot for me to ask for help because at that point, you know, I just felt so helpless with the help that I had received through traditional, just like traditional methods of going to the doctor, of seeking out that care. And once I did ask for help, my world didn't fall apart. In fact, it just became enhanced in ways that I didn't even know were possible when I was in, you know, the absolute rock bottom of my anxiety and wondering like, what was this all worth? So I started through this journey of becoming a Reiki master and healing my anxiety. I started sharing my story through social media, through talking with my friends and being more open about really what was going on in my life and that I wasn't just avoiding plans because I didn't feel like going out. It's because I was, you know, I was feeling miserable and I was having panic attacks and that's why I didn't want to leave my house because I was worried something bad was going to happen if I did. And the more I reached out to people in my circle, the more I felt supported, the more people were either mirroring those experiences and saying like, yeah, I've experienced this too. Or, you know, the friends that I did share this struggle with said, okay, we get it. We understand where you're coming from. Or they just supported me. And when I said, like, I have a bad anxiety day, so I don't want to go out today, whatever it was, um, I started to feel the support. And I started to get messages from people saying, I didn't know you were going through this, but this is something that's been that I've been struggling with too. And it really helped me find power in my voice to know that when I was in the trenches of my anxiety, I felt so lonely and that I was weird and that no one else was going through this. And when I started to share, I connected with so many other people who said, I'm going through this too. This is what helped me. And we would share and we would connect. And it was just so beautiful to be able to come to this place of true healing and not just masking the things that I was going through. So I have found so much power <laughs> in sharing my story. And that is my goal in life. My biggest dream is to create a platform for reducing the shame around mental health and healing from mental health struggles so that people don't feel alone and that people don't feel ashamed to say, this is what I'm going through and I need help. So it's all in the power of your voice. If you think that your story is invaluable, you're so, so wrong. Your story is so valuable. Your voice is powerful and... Um, even if you start by just sharing with one person, you can, you never know who you might connect with or who you might impact. So thanks for listening. This is Seek the Joy podcast, the power of storytelling. Join us, share your story. For more information and to get involved, visit seekthejoypodcast.com. This series airs the third week of every month and make sure to join us for Seek the Joy Tuesday. Until then, thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your bravery. Thank you for your joy. Thank you for being here. And thank you for listening.